0: my name is Barbara Iverson. I'll be your moderator for today's dialogue. I am an expert in interpersonal skills, and I'm based here in Berlin, Germany. The Center has partnered with the Civic Tech Innovation Network for its new series of digital dialogues. With this series, we want to continue challenging the civil society sector with inspiring conversations based on the constant change that digitalization brings to our societies. Each discussion will be a for CSOs to take a more active role in shaping our digital future. In addition to the international sign interpretation as part of our dialogue today, All of us appearing on camera are giving a short description of ourselves for those participating who are visually impaired. I am a white woman with medium length, straight blonde hair, wearing a red and blue pattern button down shirt. Today, we are putting the spotlight on how to ensure the inclusion of persons with disabilities into the digital space. So as a little bit of background, around 1 billion people live with disabilities, whether caused by accident, illness, or genetics. Actually and potentially, these people could be the ones who benefit most from the internet. But according to surveys, persons with disabilities use the internet more often than persons without disabilities, given that it eases communication in general and participation in social and cultural life in particular. The internet is the main means of communication for civil society organizations, but are their web pages, apps, and events in compliance with some basic rules of access? Who defines those rules and promotes their application? Where's money needed and where would awareness just be enough? Digital inclusion remains a challenge for civil society organizations and the civic tech community. The ambition should be clear, inclusion of and access to the internet for everybody, everywhere. I am pleased to introduce our three panelists today. We have Ms. Sally Duda who is from United Disabled Persons of Kenya, and she's joining us from Nairobi. Mr. Jurgen Pack from Kopf, Hand, and Fuß, which in English is head, hand, and foot. And he's joining us from here in Berlin. And Dr. Mohamed Lotfi from G3ICT and the Stakeholder Group of Persons with Disabilities is joining us today. I believe he's in New York. So we are looking forward to what they'll be sharing with us today, and we'll take a few moments now to hear from them. So Sally, give us a quick description of yourself and then tell us about who you are and the work that you're doing.
1: Hi, Barbara. Good morning, participants. As you've heard, my name is Sally Nduta. I work with United Disabled Persons of Kenya. I am a Black African woman. My pronouns are she-her. I'm wearing a white top white scarf with brown lines across. I work with United Disabled Persons of Kenya. This is an organization of persons with disabilities. We're an umbrella organization and we work with organizations across our country to advocate for rights of persons with disabilities in Kenya. So how do we ensure the inclusion of persons with disabilities in the ICT space or in the digital space. So from our perspective, as an organization of persons with disabilities, we believe that starts with training and education and providing opportunities for persons with different disabilities to pursue courses in IT. And I'll be giving you our experience implementing at the IT Academy that is hosted here in Kenya. So we have a number of partners that are involved in the Academy we have cisco that is providing the curriculum and the, and provides examinations and the certification for the different courses the academy is hosted by the national industrial training authority they have different campuses but the, this particular program is hosted by their campus here in nairobi we also have ourselves as united disabled persons of kenya who identify students and support them to go through the learning program. And we also have Accenture who have an online platform where they provide job readiness training for persons with different disabilities. We have Safaricom uh, who is our private sector um, partner whom we have uh, linked with to provide internships for our learners. So what we've done for the program to ensure that Persons with disabilities have an equal chance to pursue the course. We have removed barriers. So you'll find there are no minimum education qualifications. The program is fully funded. And so there's no cost to students and there's a built environment and delivery methodology to support students with different disabilities to participate. So by the end of last year, 2021, out of the 475 applicants, With different disabilities. We got 40 students selected and enrolled into the academy. We have 37 of them who took CCNA, CCT certifications, and we have 33 of them who successfully went through internships. So how did the academy work? It's critical to ensure that the different stakeholders played their roles. First, we have organizations of persons with disabilities. They played a key role in identifying job seekers with different disabilities. We tried as much as we can as UDPK together with our OPDs or organizations of people with disabilities at the local level to identify underrepresented groups. And by that, I mean persons with intellectual disabilities and persons with psychosocial disabilities who tend to be very marginalized or underrepresented in the movement. OPDs also provided some expertise around uh, supporting people to make the applications, coming up with a selection criteria. They supported with interviewing and onboarding students and providing the instructions, providing information on accessibility, following up on how students are performing in class, what challenges are they facing, among others. So we also are keen on uh, writing recommendations for trainees to request the examiners to give them reasonable accommodation. So how did we work with the private sector? I mentioned Safaricom and Cisco. So Safaricom, for example, have been part of the academy since it was set up. Uh, Cisco employees uh, and the engineers provide mentorship sessions for the learners. They also provide reasonable accommodation as the examiners for students with disabilities. For example, visually impaired student will require, you know, speech to be able to interact with an examination. We view disability inclusion as a journey. So we supported them around, you know, making their works, workplaces accessible as employers. We did accessibility assessments for them, disability awareness training, We supported them to review their policies and practice so that disability inclusion is catered for. Then, as I mentioned earlier, Safaricom provided internship for all the 33 graduates. For the host institution, this is the National Industrial Training Authority, we also are keen on changing them as an institution because they offer different courses, vocational training in, in different areas. So we also showed them that it's possible to include different disabilities, especially when you're intentional with removing barriers. We also are keen on supporting them to remove, you know, barriers, physical access, you know, to ensure that students move around. Also to support them in provision of assistive technologies and other reasonable accommodation for learners, and also to work with the instructors on alternative teaching methods, examination methods to ensure that learners with disabilities can engage effectively like other learners. We also involve government closely in the academy. The idea is to demonstrate a model or an innovation that when we remove barriers and when we're intentional about it, it is possible for students with disabilities to learn and to take different courses from what society normally, you know, prescribe for them. So it's possible for a student with a disability to take a course in in IT and pass and make a career out of it. We also advocated for investment, both financial and technical, in inclusive skills development programs and inclusive labor markets, both policy-wise and in practice. Also the government of Kenya has made several commitments on ensuring that employment of persons with disabilities is achieved. So part of this program also is to help governments achieve these commitments.
0: Sally, thank you so very much. And we will come back to you again. All right, then it's time for Jurgen to join us. So, my
2: name is Jurgen Pack. I'm 57 years old, white and with brown hair, what's left of it in the beard. I am based in Berlin. I'm now in my private workshop. I was born with the nystagmus. That means that my eyes shiver. So, I have a blurred picture of the world. effect increases with the distance and doctors say that I maybe have something like 10% eyesight. I spent most of my adult life as a designer of customized loudspeakers and at the age of 50, I yeah, had some serious health problems that caused me to think about what it means to be handicapped and then I totally changed my life. I wanted to work with people so I had a training as a, as a coach and mediator and inclusion consultant at Kopf und Fuß. And while I did this training, I was asked to join the team. Kopf und Fuß was founded ten years ago by Stefanie Trechinski. The name Kopf und Fuß, which is as like Head, hand, and foot is a combination of two German phrases. Um, one is hand and foot. If something has hand and foot, it means something is well done and makes sense. And the other one is from head to foot, which in English is from head to toe, I think. That means that we try to see the whole person, not only one special character. The founder of Kupfer und Fuß, Stefanie Kaczynski, is that she had a deaf father who didn't admit he was deaf. So that caused a lot of problems. She has to explain to everyone that he isn't crazy what, because he just answers questions that nobody asks. So as a child, she learned how to how difficult it is to live with disabilities. So she later became a teacher for children with special needs. She says she wasn't very good at that. So she began working for Microsoft. And there she had the idea that digital applications could help disabled people to cope with their problems. And she started Kofan Foos first with an app for deaf people who often are yeah, not very good at reading and writing because the spoken language is, is a foreign language to them. And so she designed an app that helped people to learn how to read and write. And over the years, our portfolio got much wider. We don't just do things for one Special handicap, but we try to do everything for for yeah, so that it's accessible to all people. Today, und Fuß is divided into four sections. The Tüchtig, which means something like able, this is a inclusive co-working space, first in Europe and maybe still the best. We have big event rooms, or you can rent a desk or a room for working out of your home. So then we have. The academy. We do workshops for people with disabilities and without disabilities. So we try to, to get them into contact. Then the software design, which means that we still design apps. And then and, and, and nowadays um, the recent project is learning platform Laya, learn as you are. That should be accessible to everyone. So. Uh, I'm not involved in this and consulting other companies because we have 10 years of experience how to include people with every kind of character and special needs into our team. So we can maybe help other companies to do this. Today, we are a mixed team of 10 people with or without disabilities with (laughs) every kind of individual character, male, female, non-binary, gay or straight, (laughs) everything. To organize our work, we use Microsoft Teams, and this is where I come to the digital. side. So it gives us the opportunity to decide, to decide if we want to be at the Tüchtig to work or in the home office, because many people with disabilities they they yeah, maybe they cannot work all day, but just for a few hours, and uh, maybe not begin in the morning, but maybe in the evening. So We try to be as flexible as possible so we can communicate online and everything we do is visible to the others with this online platform. In this training, we work on a real project, like, for example, checking the website of the museum and giving our feedback. We designed this training before COVID. After the first round, we had to switch into completely. So, Microsoft Teams was already a part of the training. So, we were so then we worked in home office, but then we learned that that doesn't really work because long-term unemployed people often need change in their everyday routine. And, and so it was not easy. And if anybody has questions to my personal access to digital media, maybe later.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Jürgen. All right. So Mohammed, I see you. Wonderful. Welcome. And uh, would you take a few minutes now to describe yourself and tell us a bit about who you are and what you do.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, everyone. It's my pleasure to be here. My name is Mohamed Lutfi. I am originally from Lebanon, currently living in New York. I co-chair the stakeholder group of persons with disabilities to the High-Level Political Forum on the Sustainable Development Goals at the United Nations. Sorry, it's a long name. I'm also the Director of Capacity Building and Advocacy Unit at the Global Initiative for Inclusive Information Communication Technologies, known as G3ICT. I'm a totally blind person. I have dark hair, wavy hair, and beard with some gray. This shows you the age. I'm 45 years old. I'm wearing a blue shirt and a gray jacket. But behind me, there is a wall with some paintings on. So today I would like to talk about experiences of persons with disabilities with digital accessibility. Digital accessibility and inclusion are extremely important for persons with disabilities to access vital resources of information and services, including internet, mobile phones, and so on and so forth. The COVID-19 and shifting towards virtual and remote systems was supposed to show or to reflect this significance of digital accessibility for persons with disabilities. However, despite the progress that we are experiencing with technology, persons with disabilities are still experiencing tremendous digital divide, especially persons with disabilities living in the Global South, who count around 80% of persons with disabilities in general. 90% of these people have no access to fully accessible technologies, including mobile phones. The stakeholder group of persons with disabilities in partnership with CBM Global Disability Inclusion conducted a study last year in three countries, Bangladesh, Bolivia, and Nigeria to uh, document the experiences of persons with disabilities during the pandemic. The study shows remarkable findings in terms of experiences of persons with disabilities with digital accessibility. The first experience uh, reflects the lack of access to information for persons with disabilities, especially data that are related or information that's related to response systems during emergencies, especially in the pandemic, information is not supported with national sign languages, Braille, or easy read formats, and and so on and so forth. Also, persons with disabilities living in rural areas or remote areas have no access to information or digital information that has affected lives of persons with disabilities, especially those who are living in special institutions. Also, it has affected elderly people. Persons with disabilities have no access to digital devices or accessible digital devices. This is because of the lack of accessible devices in general, also the lack of accessible or infrastructure for digital systems, including internet and, and, and mobile phones and bandwidth and so on and so forth, and also the lack of affordability for persons with disabilities for purchasing very expensive assistive technologies. Also, it shows that remote working and social distancing has hindered persons with disabilities in contacting organizations or persons with disabilities and service providers. That has also affected negatively advocacy efforts of organizations of persons with disabilities and also persons with disabilities reaching out to policymakers, their organizations, organizations of persons with disabilities, service providers, and so on and so forth. And also there is a tremendous lack of data disaggregated by disabilities, which is so important to identify better policies during emergencies for persons with, that are inclusive for persons with disabilities. The study offers a number of recommendations. Number one, persons with disabilities and their organizations must be included in all stages of planning for emergencies, including data collection. Governments must Collect data disaggregated on disability to make sure that we'll put together or it would deploy inclusive digital accessibility policies that are also crucial during times of emergencies. Financial institutions and technology industries must work together on making sure that persons with disabilities can afford to purchase digital accessibility technologies through either special tariffs or subsidies, governments must make sure to adopt policies that promote standards of accessibility, international standards of accessibility, to make sure that technology is accessible for persons with disabilities, whether internet for things, IOT services, mobile phones, and so on and so forth. And I'd like to add one more recommendation. We heard excellent experiences from our friend in Kenya and and, and in Germany who are offering certification and programs and also G3ICT is currently offering a certification program which is helping persons with disabilities become more equipped as advocates for promoting digital accessibility and my recommendation is we need to see more support by governments and multilateral stakeholders towards these programs. I think it's the time now for us as stakeholders to work together taking advantage of the momentum that we have experienced during the pandemic where we are all now depending on technology in order to make sure that the world is more accessible and inclusive for persons with disabilities and all people. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Mohammed. We're shifting into another section of the dialogue and this is where the panelists have the opportunity to raise questions for one another as something occurred to them that they heard or seen connections between each other's work. So I want to give you space for questions that you might have or concerns or even words of encouragement for one another. Sally, go ahead, and then we'll come back to Mohammed for his.
1: My question is to you, Yahan. I think a critical issue is around enhancing disability inclusion, particularly in the digital space, is on innovations. So in your work. In terms of support, do you work with families and and how do you find them supportive to persons with disabilities, either their family members or friends? And my second question is, how do you sustain your work? Do you have donors? Do you you get support from government?
2: We get money from government like European Union or from the city of Berlin. and, And this is how we finance our programs. And I don't know if I really understood the question about the families, but we don't know too much about their private life. Usually they have access to the internet, they have computers, they have mobile phones, and if not, we can provide them with some computers or whatever. And then the only thing about this, most of the people that we have are really living alone. They they don't have anybody to support them. so. most of them have a long story of being sorted out and and, then put to the side. And and so we have to encourage them to get into normal life again. So (laughs) I cannot say much about the family, sorry.
0: All right, thank you. Thanks both of you. Mohamed, what was your question?
3: I have a question to both of my colleagues. I would like to know, how did you see the impact of the work that you have been doing in supporting persons with disabilities to be more included in society? What kind of impact have you seen? How did lives of persons with disabilities you've been working with changed? And what are you asking stakeholders or policymakers or governments to do in order to make your your work more effective?
2: We recognize some some yeah real changes in the way that they see themselves. For example we we had one woman that who at the beginning she she thought she w- wasn't able to do anything and then she didn't like herself so she didn't want to see herself in the mirror in the end after let's say maybe 3 months we did a video this was one of these projects that we do we had a video for our Trump company we tried to help them improve their services and she saw herself on the screen and she said, well done. And, and was proud of what she was doing. And this is one moment that you <laughs> you cannot pay this with money. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's a major change in personality.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. That is really inspiring. What a huge difference that time with you made. Sally, what about you? What
1: impact have you seen? Yeah, so for us, for the academy, you'll find most of the trainees are young people aged between 18 to about 24. So we know the challenge of you know youth unemployment globally. First of all, this program is providing an opportunity for them to pursue a course that is in demand. There is a lot of demand for skills in technology. Some of the courses that they are pursuing are on. Cybersecurity, for example, and this is these are high-demand jobs because of them. The trends in the labor markets. its a really good opportunity for them. Many of them could not afford, for example, because many people with disabilities in in Kenya cannot afford, you know, these courses. They're not cheap. Families are also very happy because you'll find sometimes when somebody gets enrolled in this program, and then, then their family is very happy for them because they can see this is an opportunity you're giving to their family member who will most likely then get a job. So those are the things I would say. In terms of government and, and how we are advocating for government to implement policy, you find one, for Kenya, we have in our constitution a provision that at least 5% of employment should be provided to persons with disabilities and this is both for public employers and also for private sector so such a program is also providing an opportunity for government to see how this can be done because like the the host institution this is a government entity and it helps the government to to plan and to think through accessibility issues in their programs. It also helps them to understand issues of reasonable accommodation. So it helps governments find a pathway to implement their commitments and policies in place.
0: Mohammed, I'm curious to turn the question back around to you too and the impact that you've seen through the organizations you work with.
3: Our organization helps or advocates governments for adopting standards of accessibility in not only in the field of digital accessibility, but also a built environment. And we see that with accessibility and inclusion, persons with disabilities have proven to become more active and pay back to society. When we have companies adopting standards of accessibility, number one, persons with disabilities can find employment opportunities, as our friend from Kenya has just said, and number two, nowadays, we all rely on mostly on Internet to purchase things as consumers, as active consumers and with accessible technology that we can use to serve the Internet. If we are also employed thanks to accessibility and inclusion standards, we can be active consumers and spend money so companies can benefit. So What I'm trying to say is we can see through the work that we are doing that inclusion and accessibility does not only benefit persons with disabilities, but benefit all stakeholders, benefit all people in society, companies, governments, service providers, and also it, it, it is benefiting or it benefits other people, children, youth, women, elderly people, and also the diverse types of disabilities. We are seeing that persons with disabilities, when they get certified, in the area of digital accessibility or accessibility in general. They become more confident as advocates, lobbying their governments and to bridge the digital divide for persons with disabilities in in their country. So we have started to offer certifications for persons with disabilities. All of them are very happy with the kind of certification we are offering. And uh, they are telling us how now they can use their certification to show that they are strong advocates. They are equipped with knowledge and, you know, knowledge is power. So this is what we are trying to help persons with disabilities to have.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really profound, actually. And, and I have to just say that I really appreciate you saying that, and because I think this is true that we've seen in a lot of when diversity and inclusion are embraced, all of society benefits. It's not that inclusion of people with diverse backgrounds or abilities or whatever category you want to say. This all of society benefits when, when some do. One question came from Anna with Plan International in Sweden, and she raises the question of how can organizations work with colleagues within the HR section, so those doing the hiring and recruiting of people, so that recruiting is more open to recruiting the diversity of people with disabilities and remove those barriers for both their applications, so even being excluded from the processes, and then also from joining the organizations. So um, I see Jurgen nodding his head, and so I'm going to come over to you and I'll give all three of you the opportunity to answer this question because I'm sure you've each got thoughts to share. So we'll go from Jürgen to Sally and then to Mohammed. So Jürgen, what would you like to say to this?
2: In our last training, we we had this topic and, and then we just read a few of these adverts for jobs and, and then... Our people just didn't understand what these HR people were talking about. Most of it was in English. And and and, and then they they saw all these titles and then skills and whatever, and they just didn't know what it it just didn't refer to them. And then together we wrote a job advert that may be open to everyone. So it could be too so easy if if people just think about every kind of people and not having these high-performance experts for everything. And people can learn while they're doing the job. So our jobs can be designed differently to match the needs of of, of disabled people. So they just have to be a little more flexible in, in their mind.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for that. So a lot of it is just in the expectations or the understanding of the employer and how they word some of those descriptions. Sally, what about you? What are your thoughts on that question of HR opening it up?
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Anna, for that question. Professionals play a critical role because they're the first entry point into an organization. And uh, for us, from our experience, I think also plant that disability inclusion is a journey. So um, it's important to also find a partnership with an organization of people with disabilities. They will support you in training. You know, they will give you, they will have sessions with you on how to be inclusive in the hiring process. Like Jorgen has said in the, it starts with how you place an advertisement. Part of the information is to encourage also people with disabilities to apply for job opportunities during the interviewing process. How do you provide, you know, reasonable accommodation and accessibility to persons with disabilities who are coming for an interview and the organizations of people with disabilities can help you in that process. To us, it's a journey. Even when you have a suitable candidate and you have given them a job offer and they have accepted, that still continues because even making the workspace accessible is a critical element in ensuring that an employee with a disability is able to work work and and, and interact independently with other employees and deliver.
0: Thank you so much, Sally. Yeah go to the experts, go to the ones who advocate for or or have those disabilities, sure. which sounds so basic, but on the other hand, it's a step that people overlook. Thank you so much for, for mentioning that. Mohammed. what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I, I totally agree with my colleagues with what they said. I would like to say that communication, the issue of inclusion or the necessity of inclusion and accessibility is very important. It's very important to communicate to human resources and to companies in general, that inclusion and accessibility are extremely beneficial to them, and as well as they are beneficial for persons with disabilities. Also, it's very important to expand efforts of promoting accessibility and inclusion beyond human resources. Because while it's very important to convince a human resource officer that accessibility and inclusion is possible, we need to also see that the workplace is accessible and inclusive, uh, making sure that we are, the company is adopting all standards, all necessary standards for accessibility and inclusion, and most importantly, safety. On the other hand, we need to make sure that companies are seeing that persons with disabilities are capable to be employed, to become, to be employable. For example, the work that our friend in Kenya and the friend in Germany are doing is very important, but also we need to see that is, this is more adopted on the more mainstream level. For example, how many universities offer courses on digital accessibility, for example, or making sure that human resources understand what means what it means to be accessible and inclusive as a company. Our DARE index, the Digital Accessibility Right Evaluation Index of 2020, shows that only 38% of the countries surveyed, that are 137 countries, only have courses like that. So we need to see more, more courses that ensure enhance the employability of persons with disabilities, and we need to effectively and positively communicate the concept of accessibility.
0: Thank you so much, Mohammed. Yeah, it's uh, so much is about educating people of all levels in all different places in an organization. Another question from Rob at the University of Windsor addresses the issues of the pandemic and that it's impacted the face-to-face and physical group support options available to persons with disabilities. And now that we're seeing the pandemic perhaps winding down, we have a lot more ability to move and be in proximity to each other. So are these supports returning as COVID slows or is, is the shift that took place to a more virtual, more digital environment, is that here to stay? What's been your experience and is it sort of, I'm going to add my own question, is this is it a positive thing wherever we are, or should we be pushing for something different as we enter this kind of new phase? I'm going to give each of you the
1: opportunity to address it. Sally, I'll come to you first. That's a very interesting question. I think the COVID-19 pandemic, this of course, the, there was a lot of negative impact around movement and being able to see each other you know, face-to-face. However, From our context, it more or less also forced, you know, people to learn how to use technology and Zoom to catch up. So, for instance, for us, we had the weekly catch-up meetings where we just get to know how the trainees are doing and what are the challenges they are facing. That was virtual. Now, now that the pandemic is slowly winding down and the restrictions around movement relaxed, We have adopted a mix of both because, of course, there's the issue of resources. Sometimes you're not always able to have a budget to meet because some of the trainees are from far. We have adopted a blend. So sometimes we will see each other face to face. Sometimes we will organize for virtual meetings. And I think it's a positive thing because the virtual space has given us, so there's no excuse more or less. You can say, oh, we didn't meet because we couldn't see each other or we didn't have a big budget for everyone to meet. So I think it's moving forward. It is something we all need to consider as an option.
0: Yeah. I mean, the digital space makes things like today possible too, right? (laughs) That we can be all over the planet and, and also have interpretation for both visual impairment and hearing impairment. It's, it is remarkable. Jürgen, what about you? What do you think on this?
2: I hope we can return to our trainings in presence as soon as possible. <laughs> because the digital world has its benefits because we have people who maybe are not mobile and then cannot come to our place and then they can take part in our trainings virtually. But for some of our students, it just doesn't work. They are at home and, and they do this training like they watch telly. Sometimes they do the dishes beside and say, hey, I'm with you, no problem. And, and so we, we have to get them out of their homes to just recognize that there has to be some change to, to get into a normal life again. So they, they are very isolated. And, 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 and this is something many people during the COVID-19 time talked about isolation. And some of our clients, they say, isolation? Tell tell me something new. (laughs) So (laughs) this is what they all experience every day. So I think our work is easier when people can come to our place. And if they cannot, we can do a mix between online and in prisons.
0: Yeah, and that's a a great counterpoint. I mean, I I think it's certainly possible for both sides to be true. But that human element and getting people into a different space is important. Mohammed, I'm gonna to come to you now for the last word on this.
3: What I would like to say, and I agree with Jurgen, that face-to-face interaction is very important and more effective, especially for persons with disabilities who are working in the field of advocacy, also for those who are demanding or who are in need for daily support. However, we have to keep in mind that the world is not going to be fully going back to face to face, I think the world has benefited from digital platforms, and I think we will continue to somehow rely on this in a way or another in the future but most importantly or more important than all of that all of that is we need to notice that what we have experienced during the pandemic is a result of many gaps that have been as a result of the kind of Policies we had before the pandemic. As we are now moving away or winding down, as Barbara said, from the, oh, the pandemic and moving to the post pandemic era, and we are building back our world, we need to build better and we need to make sure that we are taking into consideration standards of accessibility and inclusion from the very first stage of planning towards building better. If we don't do that, we are losing a big historical opportunity. I don't know when it will come back.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Our time unfortunately has come to an end. So I want to thank first of all the three of you, Jurgen, Sally and Mohammed. Thank you so much for taking the time today to share your thoughts and experiences with us. It has been For me, certainly inspiring and also challenging. And I hope that's been true for the rest of our audience here and and certainly gives me things to think about and consider wherever I can about questions of accessibility. So I'd also like to thank our two international sign interpreters and our captioner for their hard work. We really appreciate you making these sessions more inclusive a wider audience. So thank you so much. We hope to see you. The next digital dialogue will happen on Thursday, the 7th of July at 4 p.m. CEST, S-A-S-T. And on behalf of the International Civil Society Center, I'm Barbara Iverson. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone.